Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Well, let's look at Mark chapter 4. This is uh, probably one of the uh, most poignant and important parables. I think maybe the most important parable in, in the Gospels. It's one of only two that's recorded in the Gospel of Mark. We often refer to it as the parable of the sower, and I'm sure that many of you are familiar with it. It's this parable where this sower goes out to sow seed, and he throws it onto four types of soil. And so I think we in our Bibles, in fact, we, we, we entitle it in the little title that maybe the publishers put in there, the parable of the sower. But I think that this might be better entitled the parable of the ears. Because what is happening here is we see four different types of hearing contrasted. Uh, when Jennifer and I were married, I was a young soldier that came through Fort Benning 20 years ago and um, met my wife here at, uh, in Columbus while I was at Fort Benning and uh, met her at a church here in town. And uh, one of the ways that I think I noticed, I, 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 well, I certainly noticed her before she noticed me, but I think one of the ways that I endeared myself to her family was that I, I during the church service, loved to sing. I like to raise my hand and I like to sing out loud. And I like to sing loudly during the worship service because I think that 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 encourages my heart. I think it's biblical. I think we should sing. Uh, But um, for my first 22 years of life before I came to Fort Benning, Georgia, nobody ever told me really that I couldn't sing. And when Jennifer and I first got married and we were, you know, at Fort Stewart, Georgia, and we were (laughs) going to this church, and then we, after that, we were in Florida for a while, and then she, early on in marriage, when she would stand next to me during a worship service, um, she, she noticed, like, she was kind of chuckling, and then she would just sort of look over me, and she said, hey, do you, do you notice there's just like one key in that, in that song, and you changed about seven or eight times? Um, honestly, I didn't even know what a key was. I still don't know what a key is, and when I go in and out of keys or fluctuate, I don't notice those things. And so I have come to realize that, that, that you either have an ear for that type of thing or you, you don't have an ear for that type of thing. And I clearly, just come sit up on the front row sometime, I clearly do not have an ear. And these words that we're going to read today are about those who have ears to hear and those that don't. Now when we as Americans hear the word parable, I think we're inclined sometimes to to put it in a category of sort of helpful principles for life. We we, we sort of categorize parables with like Aesop's fables. You know, the, the great big book of virtues where there's this story that Jesus tells to help us navigate through life a little bit more successfully. But friends, nothing could be further from the truth. These are not just mere words to give us Thoughts on how to live through life more pragmatically. These are some of the most serious and poignant and important words in the Gospels. And so as I pray, as I pray that as I read them and as we think about them, that God would give us an earnestness and a humility. And, and I honestly, I just tremble 
with the responsibility to think about these words and speak about them with you. And so let's, let's read these words and, and pray and ask the Lord to help us. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So Jesus is literally teaching, think about this, in a sort of floating pulpit. The crowd has gotten so big that he had to get in a boat and sit in it. I think just one of the things that this should, should impress upon us is the, the historical reliability of the Gospels. Mark is adding in these sort of facts that seem to be really not necessary for the point of the story but to give us a real description of what actually happened. Verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I think that, that verse is the point of, of our passage today and the point of this message. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now verse 10, listen to this. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, those, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. All right, so that you can follow along with 
my line of thinking, I have four sentences that will frame our, our sort of outline for today. I want us to look at four aspects of hearing. So this is my outline. We'll give it to you right up front, and then we'll work back through it. We're going to put it up on the screen real quick, and then we'll take it off and go one by one. So if you don't get it all down at one time, we'll go back one by one. I know that I have made you an outline-dependent people. I am sorry. That's the way I think. So here's my outline. Here are four aspects of hearing that I want us to think about. Number one, I want us to look at four different kinds of hearing that we see in this parable. Four different kinds of hearing. Secondly, I want us to look at the gift of hearing. Thirdly, I want us to look at the content of hearing. And finally, I want us to look briefly at what is the result of our hearing. Well, let me pray and ask the Lord to help us, and then we'll work back through. Father, thank you for these words. I pray that you would use them to soften and till hard hearts and distracted hearts and shallow hearts. And that in your sweet kindness, you might make the hearts of the people in this room good soil. Lord, I pray that we as a church would think deeply about the implications of the truths from this parable. And you might form us more and more into your likeness. Lord, I pray that you would use these words to encourage Christians and to bring salvation to those that do not know you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First, I want us to look at the four different kinds of hearing. So let's spend a little bit of time working back through these descriptions of the soil, the different types of soil that Jesus mentions. It really are four different types of hearing. The first in verse 15 is seed that falls on the path. Seed that is, is hard soil. Verse 15, Jesus says, and these are ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. And so, so think of this, this first description of this first type of hearing or this first type of soil as, 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 a, as a sort of hard heart. These are people that never seem to show much of an interest in all, at all in the gospel or much less church or God. These are people that hear with a, a, a hard heart. They're, they're tough people. They don't, they don't need God. Maybe they were born wealthy or gifted or intelligent. Or, or maybe they were born poor and not particularly gifted. But because of the hard circumstances with which they found themselves in, it caused them to turn towards a rugged self-reliance. And they rely on themselves. And they're just plain tough, independent Americans. Our country and our city and maybe even people in this church is full of people with hard hearts. The type of soil that is, that is hard to the Word of God. The second type of hearing or the second type of soil that we see, we see in verses 16 and 17. It's rocky ground. So let's read that again in verses 16 and 17. It says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear, hear the Word immediately receive it with joy. So there's a, a contrast. It does sort of sink in a little bit. They immediately receive this seed, this word with joy, but in verse 17, something happens. And when they have no root in themselves, they endure for a while, but then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they, they fall away. And so this rocky ground, this type of hearing, is, a, is people that, 
here with a, a shallow heart. There are people that seem to respond to the word, but when trial comes, they, they quickly fall away. Maybe they were attracted to God or some particular aspect of Christian teaching because they perceived in it some benefit, or there was some helpful principle that would improve their life, and maybe they were down and out. And the good news of the grace of Christianity was a, was a sort of quick lifeline for them. But when they had to move beyond grace, or when they had to move beyond quick reward to deep repentance and dealing with their sin, they, they resisted. They're not necessarily people that are down and out. Maybe they're just superficial and shallow, and they're focused merely on the helpful aspects of how Christianity or the message of the gospel makes things better for you. This shallow heart sees coming to God as merely a pragmatic and functional endeavor. It's a sort of fluffiness that can't withstand the heat of the sun. And friends, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking that the tragedy of, of this shallow soil and shallow hearing is that a large part of the American church culture is built around catering to this type of shallow heart. Well, we see a third type of soil. And it seems like each sort of level from the path to the rocky ground now to the seed sown amongst thorns gets a little bit deeper but not quite deep enough. And so we, we find now the, the third type of hearing or the third type of soil which is that sown among thorns. So let's read again in verse 18 and 19. It says, And there are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Where the people on the path maybe had a hard heart and the people on rocky ground had a shallow heart, the, sow, the, the seed that is sown on the, the part where there's thorns are people that listen with a, a divided heart. This is probably the most challenging to think about and hard to distinguish in, in our culture. This is the person who on the outside may for some time appear to be a Christian, but yet eventually the pull of competing seeds, the pull of competing desires, riches, or the desire for other things eventually overtakes the Word and chokes it and strangles it. This is a person who has a, a divided heart, one that is not totally and truly given over to Jesus. And then there's the fourth type of hearing, the good soil or the, the fruitful heart. Clearly this soil, and I think this soil alone, represents what it means to be a Christian. And notice, and we'll talk more about this towards the end, but notice that the only description of this good soil is that it bears fruit. And it's also encouraging to me that there's different degrees to which this soil bears fruit, so that you know we, we need not compare ourselves with people that seem to be particularly gifted or particularly productive because we can know that we are good soil too, even if we're not bearing maybe quite the fruit that others. But there is this point that what good, so the only characteristic, characteristic of good soil is that it bears fruit. 
So before we move on to looking at the gift of hearing, I think there's a few implications here. For instance, a few very serious implications for us as individual Christians and for us as a church. The first is, is that although we listed out four different categories of hearing, really think about it now, there's really only two categories. There's the unfruitful type of hearing, and there's the fruitful type of hearing. There's three particular types of soil that prove themselves not to be Christians, some very quickly, others over a longer period of time. And there's one type of soil that proves itself to actually be fruitful and truly a Christian. But what are the implications for us? Well, one can appear to be fruitful soil for some time and really not be. As I was reading this this weekend, I was talking about the guys with this passage. I was thinking about the challenges. I sort of read this in one sitting and I read the different descriptions of soil, I picture in my mind this happening over a sort of relatively quick period of time. Like the sower sows the seed, and some falls on the rocky path, on the path, some falls on the rocky ground, some on the thorns, and some on the good soil. And, and, I, and I sort of see that, that sort of the, the final results get sort of disclosed or shaken out very quickly. But, but that's not actually how I think this parable plays itself out in real life. That, that there's this actual sense that, that somebody can appear to be responding to the word. And, and this may be a matter of weeks or months or even years. This, this gap between sort of initially responding to the word and then tribulation coming later on to choke out that word or other desires for other things come. That could be over a course of years. So, so what are the implications for us? Well, first is, is that I think that we should think very carefully about what it means to actually be a Christian. What it means to actually be a Christian is to bear fruit, and we're going to look at that at, in a moment. But another thing is clearly it means that it means that we endure to the end. This in particular is why we don't really practice what is very common in our culture, which is this idea of altar calls where at the end of the sermon I will have everybody, I don't have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes and then sort of call for people to believe in Jesus and signify it by maybe the raising of their hand or the filling out of a sheet or in that moment sort of joining the church. Friends, I know that that is a, is a near and dear thing to church culture in the South, but do you realize how, how that could in particular sort of feed false assurance. You see that becoming a Christian here is not just a sort of one-time emotional response where you raise your hand or you repeat a prayer, although those things may be helpful things to do in the process. But do you realize how the churches all across our country are slapping the Christian label on people merely because they, they make some sort of outward display of initial response to the gospel and then they slap a label on that person as being okay with God never really to kind of follow back up with that person or whatever and and you see how that can very unwittingly unwittingly create a culture of false assurance I can't tell you how many people that we have met that are joining the church and we ask them about their testimony and And they talk about how they maybe thought they were Christians when they were younger because they raised their hand or maybe they got baptized. And so all of a sudden they're putting all of their hope in this one act rather than in the accent that the Bible puts where our hope should be as to whether or not we are bearing fruit and enduring to the end. 
Another thing that it should give us great pause is that we don't just sort of quickly baptize people. And over the last few years as pastors and elders of this church, we have thought more deeply about our practice of water baptism. And and we've realized that one of the things that we probably need to do better is to be a little bit slower with baptizing especially young people. And I am not saying in this that children at a very young age cannot come to a saving faith of Jesus. Clearly, I believe that children can come to a saving faith in Jesus at a very young age. But I think that in our culture that is awash with nominal Christianity, where people are looking back at a time when they raised their hand or joined a church or were baptized as the only real evidence of their assurance that we run the greater risk of giving somebody a sort of false assurance when they don't really endure and prove themselves with fruitfulness as a genuine Christian. And so although we want to encourage the salvation of young people, we want to be cautious about baptizing young people too soon. I am not saying, I am not saying that children cannot come to Christ at a very young age. I'm not saying that if you were baptized at a young age, or even if your child was baptized, even here at a young age, that that is invalid. What I am saying is that in a culture that is awash with people who think they are Christians but are not, we as a church have thought it wise to be careful about slapping assurance on people through a raised hand. There are four different types of hearing. Two, there's really only two categories. Fruitful hearing and unfruitful hearing. This brings us to the second and maybe most difficult part of this passage. And that's looking at the gift of hearing. Let's read verses 10 through 12 again. Did you notice these verses? They're, they're kind of shocking. Let me read verses 10, 11, and 12 again. It says, And when he was alone... Those around him, so he's told the parable, now he's separated himself with his disciples and a few others. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. So, so what's, what's going on here? Jesus seems to be saying that I'm telling you these parables so that you will understand, but I'm sort of clouding it in a mystery that's not being revealed to these people. In fact, I'm using this as a sort of judgment for their unbelief. Now, now I think probably all of us have, have heard at some point along the way, I know I certainly have, that Jesus used story and allegory and parables as a teaching mechanism to make his, his point more understandable. And I think that at times, in fact, maybe most of the time, is true. But I want you to notice something here. In this particular instance, Jesus actually seems to be saying the exact opposite. Do you get that? So what is Jesus saying here when he's saying that I'm speaking parables and it's a mystery and I'm giving you, his disciples and these other people that were with him at that moment, the knowledge of this mystery and, and, and I'm speaking in this parable 
in a sense, to sort of make it still mysterious to these people as, a, as, as actually a sign of judgment on their unbelief. So, so what, what's going on here? Why doesn't Jesus just clearly kind of make it plain and beat us all over the head and conk us so that we all understand what's going on? Well, I think what's clearly going on here is that Jesus is saying that truly hearing, the type of fruitful hearing, the type of hearing that only really matters, the type of hearing that only really saves, is a gift. It's not something that we can muster up on our own. See, the point of this parable is not, here's these four types of soil, three of them are bad, one is fruitful, and so all of you that think you might have bad hearing, go run off and get your till and your shovel and your pick and go till your soil and when you have good soil then come back to the sower and receive the seed no jesus is producing in his hearers a futility so that they don't look within themselves but so that they look outside of themselves do you see the the sovereignty do you see the do you see the bigness of god in this jesus is saying that we cannot hear, we cannot understand the mystery unless he gives it to us as a gift. Now this is where people, this is where people often push away. And I, I realize that this is a difficult truth, friends. And I, and I realize that I'm thinking deeply about the sovereignty of God in opening ears to hear is a challenging truth to think about. And it brings up all sorts of questions in our mind. Well, what about those that don't hear? But friends, do you see, do you see the actual grace in this? Do you see how this makes the gospel such good news? Do you see what Jesus is doing in here? He, he is wanting to pr- produce in his people's hearts a helplessness. You see, he doesn't leave any window open to go figure it out on your own. Or there's some of you that were just created more talented and more wise, and so you're going to get it. He doesn't leave any sort of crack in the door so that we might look to ourselves and say, aha, I understood. That poor slap down, guy down the end of the street didn't understand. I understood he didn't. And so he's leaving no room for us to look to ourselves or to glory in ourselves or to think that we're more intelligent or to think that we're more wise or to think that we have more faith than the next guy. He's shutting off all of those windows. And he's, he's causing us to be helpless so that we don't look to ourselves, but we realize that our only chance of truly hearing is that if God gives it to us as a gift, friends, that is grace and that is good news. A clear implication of this is that you don't get to just decide when you want to start listening and paying attention to God. You don't get to decide that. And I have, listen, I know that feeling. I have been there. I have been a college student. I have been leading a Bible study. And having large parts of my life in deep sin. And one of the clear implications of of the gift of fruitful hearing being a gift of God alone is that we don't get to just decide when we want to start 
tuning into God. This is what Paul says in Romans 2. He says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's dangerous to presume on God's patience, its kindness. It's dangerous to presume that faith to hear and repentance to turn away is something that we can bring to the table. Friends, saving faith and repentance from our sin to trust in Jesus is not something that the Bible presents. It's something that we bring to the table in our salvation. Those are gifts from God. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he says, that, he says, argue with your opponents so that in, in a gentle way so that in God's kindness, he might grant them repentance. Repentance is granted. It's not mustered up. And in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul clearly says that even the faith that we have, that we exercise to believe in God, is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And so friends, if you're a college student, and you just have kind of one foot in and one foot out, and you'll kind of do your thing, and sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and go get smashed on Friday nights, and then show up and kind of do the little church game, and think that when you get married, and you get a real job, and you start paying a mortgage, and you get an alarm clock, that all of a sudden in your late 20s, then you'll start paying attention. Friends, I'm, I beg you, do not presume on the kindness of God. Don't think that repentance or faith will always be there. It's a gift. And that's the point of Hebrews in large part is that today, friends, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do you see how serious this is? We don't get to decide what type of soil we want to be. It's a gift. It's a gift. And if that produces frustration or anger in you because you don't think that God can do that type of thing, friends, that's what Romans 9 is about. What right does the clay have to say to the potter, why have you made me like this? Friends, there's something about Americans that we get so arrogant when we come to God and salvation as if it's a switch that we can flip and turn on and turn off and produce ourselves. Friends, the point, one of the major points of this parable is to produce in us a futility and a helplessness so that we will have no hope but to turn to God. You don't, we don't get to decide when we start hearing fruitfully. So let that push on you and weigh on you and produce in you a futility that drives you to God. Which brings us to the third point, the content of our hearing. The content of our hearing. This is, this is very important because Jesus isn't asking us just to live better lives or merely treat our neighbors better. Verses 13 and 14 Jesus tells us what the content of this hearing is. He says in verse 13, He said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. What is the word? Well, the word is what Robert read at the beginning of our service as our call to worship. It's from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25. He says, This word is the good news that was preached to you. And so it's not just some word, like give me a good word, give me a, give me a helpful tip on how to get through this day. This word is the good news about what Jesus has done. And so what does Paul say about what this good news is? Well, he clearly tells us what the good news is in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me 
read verses 1 through 4, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through, 1 through 4, Paul says to the Corinthian church, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. Gospel means good news that I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So what is this word? What is this good news? Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so this word that hits our heart is not a tip on how to live better. It's not a tip on how to get in a better mood. Although the fruit of this word might have those implications, but the word, the content of our hearing is how we are made right with God. Do you realize that the whole point of the Bible is the good news of what Jesus has done? And the good news is that Really, it starts with bad news, is that we all are separated from God in our sin. We are all rebellious. We all turn away from God. We all look to other gods. We all chase after other idols. And our sin has rendered us completely unable to make ourselves right with God. And the good news of the gospel is is that Jesus comes, God the Son, in the flesh, to live a perfect life on this earth as a perfect human, fully human, but yet fully God. And he lays down his perfect life as a sacrifice on the cross. Not to be primarily crucified by the Romans or the Jews, but to be crucified by God himself. Where God now punishes, takes out his wrath on the cross. And he, Jesus, bears the wrath for all of our sin, for all of our, all of our folly, all of our idolatry. And then he satisfies God's holiness and he rises again in victory over sin and death and all of its consequences and now calls everybody everywhere to repent and trust in him. Friends, that is the content of the seed. That is what we are called to hear. And notice that the power to give life is in the seed, not in the soil. Literally, that good news, the life comes, not by whether the soil is good or has enough nutrients, but the seed, that news actually gives life. That's why Paul writes in Romans 1 that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, it is the power of God and the salvation for all those who believe. And so this seed that we're supposed to hear, this news that we're supposed to hear is what Jesus has done to reconcile us to himself. And then when that seed takes root in our heart and it grows and it bears fruit, it has all sorts of implications. It covers everything in our life. It affects our marriages. It affects our finances. It affects everything about us. It bears fruit. Which brings us to the, the last point, the result of our hearing. The result of our hearing. Let's look again at verse 20. Jesus says, but those that were sown on the good soil are those who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So at its core, what it means to be a Christian is to, in some measure, bear fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit? What does that look like? 
Does it mean that you have to start an orphanage in a third world country or you have to be a great teacher or preacher or you have to have some particular gift that you can share with the rest of the church or the world? Well, that might for some of us be some aspect of our fruit bearing, but, but at its core, what does it mean to bear fruit? It means that we have, when we receive this implanted word of God, as James says, which is able to save our soul, it means that we begin this journey of sanctification where we have an increasing disgust of sin. It means that we have a, a growing desire for more of God's rule and reign in our life. It means that we, have, we should have a desire for more of God's truth and a love for God's people More specifically, the local church that we are called to join and be part of and serve and and, and give our lives to. This is what the Bible describes as what it means to be a Christian. To bear fruit in some measure. Maybe small or maybe large. Now don't get the wrong impression. To be a Christian does not mean that you're sinless in any way. In fact, I... I love that old quote from William Arnault, that bearded Englishman from the 1800s. He gives this beautiful description of that the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not that one has sin and the other does not, but that the Christian is taking God's side against their sin, whereas the non-Christian is taking sin side against a dreaded God. And so maybe one way to think about it, if you're wondering whether or not I am truly a Christian, it's not whether or not you're perfect or whether or not you're good enough for God to save you. Remember, the life-giving power is not in the soil. It's in the seed, the Word of God, the message of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done to save you. So if you're wrestling with this question of whether or not I'm a Christian or not, is do you, do you love God more than you love this world and your sin? And, and that's one of, the, one of the means that God gives you to wrestle through that question is other Christians in the form of the local church. That's why it's, it's so unwise to do life on the edges of Christian community. The result of hearing fruitfully is that we love God and we increasingly hate our sin and desire for more of his rule and reign in your life. But I don't want you to think, and I end with this, I don't want you to think that, um, in fact, I think this is the complete opposite point that Jesus is making. He's not saying, till the soil of your heart. He's not saying, be better soil. In fact, the only thing that is commanded of the follower of Jesus in this parable is to listen, to hear. Nothing else. Just hear. Like, hear. And, and be, be so uh, uh, unconfident in your own ability to hear that you have no hope but to hear by the grace of God. Hear. So, so, so the point is not, don't look to yourself. Don't look to the strength of your faith. Don't look to the strength of your reasoning. Don't look to the strength of your understanding of the Christian message as to whether or not you are good soil. Look to Jesus. Think of it this way. I thought of this the other day. I heard this recently, maybe in a sermon or reading something. I can't remember, but think about, uh, think about living up in the great north, Minnesota or Canada or somewhere like that. 
And think about uh, a lake being in your backyard. And think about in the dead of winter, uh, two people wanting to walk across that lake. And think about one person who's not really sure whether or not the ice, they've never been out on a frozen lake before, and they're not really sure about whether or not the ice can hold them, and the other person is sure. They both walk out on that lake, and person A is standing there very confident. I know that this lake is going gonna, is gonna to hold me. I know this frozen sheet of ice is going to hold me up. And the other person is very, very nervous and wondering, oh my gosh, I've never been out on this, this frozen sheet of ice before. Is this going to hold me up? Is this going to hold me up? And all the while, their, their, their legs are shaking, and it's not because it's cold. They're wondering whether or not it's going to give way, and they're going to sink down in and to the freezing waters. Friends, whether or not you are really, really confident in the ice's ability to hold you up, or whether or not you're not quite there yet, but you, you just got enough to kind of inch out over. Friends, either way, the ice is holding both people up. Both people are equally safe from the ice. The one who's very confident in it, and the one who is very feeble in their confidence in it. But either way, friends, it's the ice that does the holding, not the confidence or the relative confidence of the person who's standing out in the middle of the frozen lake. Likewise, friends, what saves us, what makes us good soil, is not the strength of our faith or the relative goodness of our soil, but the one who is holding us, who is Jesus. Do you see that salvation comes in the object of our faith, not in the strength of our faith? Do you see that salvation comes through the power of the word of God, which is the seed, which is the gospel, not in the relative preparation of the soil? Friends, that's why, that's why the sower is so liberal in tossing out soil, because Jesus knows the power of the gospel. He throws it everywhere, because this is how powerful the word of God is. It can make bad soil good soil. Do you see that? And so the saving comes in the strength of the object of our faith, not in the strength of our faith. This is the way Spurgeon put it, and I end with this quote. Spurgeon, a great pastor back in London in the 1800s, who also had a beard. <laughs> These are beautiful words. He also smoked cigars, two of them at one time. I don't think I'm going to pick that up, although you never know. I'm sorry. If your children are in here right now, that is not an endorsement of tobacco use. I'm sorry. I'm going to get an email on that. Don't. Smoking's bad for you. Okay, you got that. All right. Listen to Spurgeon's words. See then that the weakness of your faith will not destroy you. A trembling hand may receive a golden gift. The Lord's salvation can come to us though we have only faith as a grain of mustard seed. The power lies in the grace of God and not in our faith. Great messages can be sent along slender wires. And the peace-giving witness of the Holy Spirit can reach the heart by means of a thread-like faith which seems almost unable to sustain its own weight. 
Think more of him to whom you look than of the look itself. You must look away even from your own looking and see nothing but Jesus and the grace of God revealed in him. Friends, the point of this parable is here. To him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you find your heart hard? Do you find your heart shallow? Do you find your heart divided? Oh, friends, the good news of the gospel is that salvation rests not in the preparation or the strength of the soil of your heart, but in the object of our faith, the good and gracious giver of life, Jesus himself. So look away from the soil and look to the seed. Friends, are you already a Christian and you are trembling on that frozen over lake wondering whether or not you are going to endure to the end. Oh, friend, look away from your own confidence and look to the one who is holding you. Look not to yourself, but look to Jesus. And do not presume, friends, if you, if you are wrestling with whether or not you are a Christian, do not presume on the kindness of our God. But even now, look to Jesus. Don't look to the soil. Don't look to your heart. Look to the powerful Word of God, which is Christ. And hear, and hear, and bear fruit, and, and give your life to glorifying God, which is far more satisfying than any other broken counterfeit. Let's pray. And Father, as we come now to respond to your word, I pray that you would give us the great grace of spiritual clarity and honesty for those that have not truly trusted in you. Lord, I, I'm asking that you would produce in them a sort of miserable futility with their own efforts, with their own divided heart, with their own shallowness. And would you shut off every other door so that they are left with no other option but to look to Jesus as the only one who can give the gift of ears that can hear and understand his words and trust in him and turn away from this broken world and believe in him. Lord, I, I'm not primarily asking you to just give an encouraging pat on the back to people who don't know Jesus. I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that you might in your kindness stir in their souls a great discouragement with their own strength so that they would have no other hope but to look to you. Lord, would you do that now? Would you give repentance? Would you give faith? Would, would the unbeliever in this room be aware that they're an unbeliever and be aware of the fact that they're, they're not good soil? And, and would they look to you? Would they look to you? Would they, would they look to Jesus, who's the only one that can give life? And, and then, God, for, for the weak and feeble Christian like me that is, that is still sometimes knocking his knees out on the, the glacier of your grace, God, would, would I not look to my confidence in my own ability to stand, but would, would me and my other feeble Christians in this room, would we, would we look to the object of our faith, Jesus? And would we look away from ourselves? And would this produce a sort of strange, persistent, lifelong, enduring fruitfulness in us where we are increasingly, increasingly 
weaning ourselves from the the deceitfulness of this world and attaching ourselves to the satisfaction that is Jesus. Lord, would you do these things for your glory and for the joy of your people and for the good of your church and for the display of the gospel in our city and this world. Lord, would you do it? And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.